a few years ago, I gave, it was on uh, Mother's Day, and I gave myself a gift through my mom. And that gift was a book. And it was a book that was mostly empty. And uh, I think the title is uh, A Mother's Story. And all it is is empty pages with questions at the top of each page. So questions about my mom's family. You know, how many siblings did you have? Where were you born? Uh, where did you go to school? Things about how she met uh, my dad. And, and just the whole thing. It's about books about this long. And uh, I gave it to her. And that's why I say I gave myself a gift by giving through her. Uh, and over the course of the following years, my mom consistently and sacrificially went about filling this book and answering each question. Uh, and I, to be honest, had kind of forgotten about it until she gave it back to me for Christmas a couple years ago. And I received that book and I opened it up and every page is absolutely full. There is no empty space anywhere in that book. And it is an incredible treasure. And now I, I have something that my sisters and my brother really, really want. But it's mine. I will make copies for them. We've already talked about this. But when I received this for Christmas a couple years ago, I was humbled by the care and love that it represented. I can't imagine how many hours my, my mom spent and how much effort she expended in order to fill that volume. And it's meaningful to me because it's part of my history. Many of the sentences and paragraphs in this book describe how our family came to be, where I came from, and what God has done to bring me to who and where I am today, and even beyond me then, to my children and my wife and my family. Today we're starting a new series, a series on the book of Acts. And over the past months, I've I've been praying and thinking about what would, what would God have us study next in our Sunday morning services. And a few weeks ago, in my quiet times, I began rereading the book of Acts. And to me, reading this book in the light of the coronavirus epidemic made it come even more vibrantly alive to me. Because Acts is the story of the launch of the church. A new entity a new body that had to figure out who they were supposed to be, how they were to relate to each other, and what their primary purpose on earth was. And though the coronavirus has not changed the mission of the church, it has changed how we go about fulfilling that mission. It's challenging us to understand how we may need to change the way we act and how we should relate to our brothers and sisters as well as to those who don't know Jesus yet, to non-believers. And the most stunning aspect of the book of Acts, perhaps the most blessed and most glorious, yet I think often overlooked, is that Acts is our history. And even as the book that my mom wrote for me is in many ways my story, so Acts is our story corporately as the church. For those who have repented of their sins, who have believed in and surrendered their lives to Jesus, who through Christ have been adopted as daughters and sons of God the Father. This is our history. This is where we have come from. This is our story. Now, of course, when we begin any new study, we need some background. 
some context that helps us understand the time and place in which a work or a book was written. So to try to provide that for us, I'm going to share with you five themes that we're going to encounter in the book of Acts. You can also see these themes as purposes. So most theologians and scholars agree that Luke, who was a doctor from the city of Antioch in the ancient Near East, that Luke was the author of Acts. He was the man who wrote it. So when I say the purposes behind it, what motivated Luke to write? Why did he write it? What was, his, what, what was he trying to accomplish in writing this account? So as I said, I'm going to deal with five this morning, and each one is going to have a keyword. So if you're taking notes at home, I want you to write down those keywords, and you can kind of fill in things later. I mean, as you know, these themes will keep coming up as we look at the whole book of Acts. So when they come up, I'm going to highlight them, but these will provide a foundation from which we can launch. The first key word is proclaim. I want you to get that word, proclaim. Because Luke's primary purpose in writing, his main theme in the book of Acts, is to proclaim the good news of Christianity by relating its history. As such, Luke writes both, as we would say, an evangelist and a historian. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And what I mean by this is that Luke's accounts, they can be trusted as accurate both in narrating history as well as in teaching theology. He's doing both. So his primary motivation, the main theme, is the proclamation of the good news of Christianity, the, the proclaiming the gospel. The second theme will be summarized with the word reveal. Reveal. Luke writes to reveal the power behind church history. And that power is the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are many Christian scholars, I've, I've heard and read this in many different sources, that a better, more accurate name for the book of Acts, because it's called Acts of the Apostles, that a more accurate name would be Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because everything that happens for good in this book, all moves that are made for the spreading of the gospel, Luke is going to show that they are motivated and led by the Holy Spirit. So Luke writes to reveal the power behind the launch and the growth of the church. The third key word is the word defend. Luke attempts in Acts to defend Christianity against attacks from two sides. On one hand, he's defending against attacks from the Jews, and on the other hand, he's defending against attacks from the Romans. So to the Jews, we're going to see that Luke will consistently show that the early church fathers did not intend to throw away Judaism. They didn't intend to throw out the law. And they weren't arguing that Christianity was a different religion from Judaism. Rather, Luke's going to show that Christianity is the only true fulfillment of the Jewish religion. And the Jewish religion, if, if it doesn't include Christ, it ends, it stops, it doesn't have continued meaning. It's supposed to continue and be fulfilled in the person and the work, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. 
So Luke's going to argue that to the Jews. Look, Christianity is not a threat to Judaism. It is the fulfillment of Judaism. We're not trying to throw out Jewish law. We're seeing Jewish law being fulfilled in the Messiah, in Jesus. Now, on the other hand, to the Romans, Luke is going to strive to show that Christianity is not a political force, that it doesn't pose a threat to the Roman government or rule. In other words, that, that Christianity may have been a revolutionary movement, but it wasn't a politically revolutionary movement. It was a spiritual revolutionary movement. It was transforming hearts, but it wasn't necessarily a threat to Roman rule. And we'll see throughout Acts that, that Roman authorities and officials consistently determine that Christians are innocent of crimes against Rome. It's actually interesting when you read Acts from that perspective that almost every Roman official or authority ends up saying, you know what, I don't have a problem with this. I don't have a problem with you people. I don't have a problem with this man. And this even starts back in the Gospels with Pilate. Yes, Pilate turns Jesus over to be crucified, but he, as the Roman governor, consistently tries to say, I don't see anything wrong with this man, Jesus. I, I, I wash my hands. His blood's on you because as far as I'm concerned, he's innocent. And we'll see in Acts that the greatest and most violent threats against Christianity, the hardest forms of persecution, will not come from Rome. They'll come from the Jews. This brings us to our fourth word, and that is inform. Or if you prefer the word teach, you can use the word teach. Luke is motivated by a desire to inform the Gentiles about the history of the church on one hand. And on the other hand, to inform those believers, if you want to call them the original believers back in Jerusalem, what was happening in the broader world as the gospel spread further and further away from its epicenter in Jerusalem. Remember, this is before any kind of modern news media. Today we think, well, of course, all I have to do is turn on the computer and I can click and I can find, you know, thousands and thousands of conflicting news stories, you know, that will tell a different narrative. I can, I can find out all kinds of things from all over the world, but that was not true in the ancient Near East. News took a long time to travel. So for those people, original believers in Jerusalem, they knew they saw all of their brothers, friends, um, fellow believers who were scattered because of persecution, and they might never hear of them again. They might never know. They might have no idea that while they're fighting for their lives in Jerusalem and fighting for their survival, the gospel of Christ is exploding through the Roman world. So we can think of the structure of Luke in terms of two cities, Jerusalem and Rome. Jerusalem is the birthplace of Christianity, where Jesus died and rose again, where the Holy Spirit first came upon the believers. But though Jerusalem is an important city to us today, and it's even an important city globally today, it wasn't a particularly important city in the Roman Empire. The greatest city of the day, of course, was Rome itself, the capital and seat of the largest and most powerful empires, or one of the largest and most powerful empires in all history. And Luke tells the story of the gospel spreading from its birthplace 
to the heart of the most influential city in the world. It begins in Jerusalem and it ends with the gospel being proclaimed in Rome itself through Paul. So as the gospel spreads, Luke writes to tell new converts how it all began. Hey, you Gentiles, you don't know how it started. Let me tell you how it started. This is your story. This is your background. And then for those who were there when it all began, but are still there where it all began, he writes to tell them what's happened since then, the miraculous growth of Christianity. So maybe a way to think about this is, is if there's a family and as their children grow up and become adults and, and marry, they move away to other countries. And so we have this back and forth communication where uh, the parents who, wherever they are, are telling the kids you know, their history, their story, this is where you came from, remember this, remember that, remember when, when you were young this happened, before you were born this happened. And then you have the, the, their children who are living in different parts of the world who are writing back or FaceTiming back and saying, hey, here's what's going on here, here's how the gospel is spreading here. Hey, by the way, you're going to be grandparents. Hey, you know, the new child growing, our family's growing, here's a picture, here's a photo. And this communication going back and forth. And that's what Luke's doing as he writes. He's letting the Christians in Jerusalem know how the gospel is spreading. And he is telling those who are receiving the spread of the gospel its origins and their roots. Now this brings us to the fifth word. And the fifth word is unite. To unite. Luke is motivated by a desire to see Gentile and Jewish Christians united. To bring them together in the same family of the church. We have to remember that for Jews, they had held themselves separate from the rest of the world for centuries. And even though there's clear evidence in the Old Testament itself that God's intent was always for his truth to go from the Jews to the nations, the Jewish people themselves had never embraced that vision. So for all their history, they had kept themselves apart and aloof and separate from other people. And suddenly, literally from one minute to another, from an empty tomb to a risen Christ, everything changes. As the ancient Jews understood things, being a child of God depended upon a person's birth and their blood. After Jesus' resurrection, being a child of God depended upon Christ's blood and faith in him only. So national and ethnic and racial and even gender divisions no longer were meant to keep people apart. And you can, you can imagine how difficult this process was, especially for the Jews. First, just to accept that this could be true. That would be hard, and I think we need to be very careful not to judge those early Jewish Christians. Because if we had been raised... With, that, with those centuries of tradition and centuries of teaching weighing on our shoulders, we would have been exactly the same. So first they had to grasp that this was the plan, and then secondly they had to figure out how to live it. It's one thing to acknowledge, yeah, that's the way something should be. It's another way to live it out. So Luke has grasped the beautiful gift of unity in and through the blood of Jesus. And he wants to bring these two enemy factions that oftentimes hated each other together in peace as God intended. That in the church there would be no barriers between Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. 
but the believers in Jesus would be one in him. And their primary and only identifier would be Christian, not Jewish Christian, not Gentile Christian, not woman Christian, not man Christian, but simply Christian. Now, understand, I'm not denying that there are differences and that there should be differences between those two people, but differences should not be barriers. And barriers is what Luke is writing to, to get rid of. Now, take a deep breath. That's the longest introduction to any sermon I've ever given, okay? But I promise you that the rest of it's not going to extend too long today. We needed that foundation, but there's also something that I want us to take from the first verses of Luke, chapter 1, and before we end this morning, both, I should say, both Luke and Acts. So I'm going to read the first four verses of the book of Luke first. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So, as Luke begins his writings with the gospel, what do I want us to note? First of all, that Luke is appealing to eyewitnesses. He's saying, everything that I have written has been handed down to me from eyewitnesses. First-hand accounts. Number one. Number two, I've researched it thoroughly. So he, he's making an appeal to be believed, to be trusted. Look, I got my information from eyewitnesses, and I investigated everything. I think it helps you know, to know that Luke was a doctor. Somehow that just gives him more credibility, right? At least in the world out there, you know, uh, particularly in the coronavirus, everyone that's, you know, spouting their theories about this thing online, you know, and anytime they can add the word, and I'm a doctor, well, suddenly it, it gives them more credibility. Uh, and Luke is making a claim to, to credibility. He is saying, I have received from eyewitnesses and I've researched it. Now, secondly, Luke has written, or rather third, I should say, Luke has written to a man named Theophilus. We don't know anything about him other than Luke wrote to him. We know he was a a Greek, um, because he has a Greek name, or it, his name is Greek, so we assume that he was a Gentile himself. And he has some knowledge of the gospel, okay? Because verse 4 says, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So he has some background in the gospel, and Luke is writing to tell him, hey, you can trust it. You can be certain in what you've been taught, and here's why. Now, Let's skip forward to Acts and the first few verses of the book of Acts. In chapter 1 of Acts, verses 1, two th one through 3, Luke, likewise, as he did in, in Luke itself, he gives a, um, an introduction. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. 
He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, I, I want us to hear again this, this attitude of Luke's to, to attain to credibility. He's saying, I'm not going to go into all the details, but know that many, many people saw the risen Jesus. So after he was born, many people saw them. He interacted with them. They've recorded words that he said. So it's credible. The resurrection is credible. And this is his second volume, right? This is his second work. He says, first in my former book, Theophilus, what did I write about? All that Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up from heaven. Now there's a transition, and we see it right there. What's he transitioning to now? The Holy Spirit. All that Jesus began to do and to teach, and now what the Holy Spirit has said, and what Christ said through the Holy Spirit. So maybe we could rename these two books. The Gospel of Luke could become the Acts of Jesus the Christ, and then Acts could be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. There's a transition going on. Jesus is about to return to heaven, and now his work will be continued on earth by his Spirit. Now I want us to draw... Uh, I want to draw our attention just briefly to the name Theophilus. As I said earlier, we know very little about him other than what Luke tells us here. But the meaning of this name is loved by God or beloved of God. It's a derivative of the Greek words theos, meaning God, and phileo, meaning love, Theophilus. And I believe there's a message in this name even for us. Through Luke, God is communicating his story to one that he loves, Theophilus, beloved of God. And that's a tender truth. It's an encouraging truth. To me, I see a parallel in the book that my mom wrote for me. As my mom, she wrote with love to show me the roots of my story. And her concern to do so reveals sacrificial love. So in both Luke and Acts, God is communicating to his beloved church our story, our history. And he does so because he loves us. And he wants us to understand where we as the family of God have come from. He wants us to know what our history is. How knowing where we have come from should influence who we are and how we live today in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic. The gospel encountered many obstacles in its early years. We know this. We'll see this in Acts. Persecution, unbelief, death, betrayal, legal impediments. If we move into our current situation, we can say the coronavirus is nothing new to God. It's not an obstacle to him. His glory will continue to shine forth through his church. And as our Father... Because he loves us, he has told us the story of our family's early days so that we may be inspired and encouraged to live his story, his gospel, today. Another way to think of this might be with the concept of adoption because that's the image that Paul uses in Ephesians to describe our relationship to the Father, how we become his children. He adopts us. So in that sense, we have a biological history. But then when we are adopted by God through Jesus Christ as his sons and daughters, 
We have a new family, a spiritual family. And God, our Father, wants us to know our spiritual heritage. So we have something new to learn. We may already know some about our biological family, but now God's saying, my, my son, my daughter, I want to tell you your spiritual history, the history of my family, the history of my church. And that's how I want us to approach the book of Acts, with joy and open hearts, understanding that this is our story, that God is telling it to us, that he would give it to us in a, in a fresh way, the same words, but that we would receive it in a fresh, inspiring way as communication, loving communication from our Heavenly Father who is telling us our own story, His story, into which He has welcomed us. I pray that this study of Acts will inspire us. It will inspire us in the gospel, not because of my words or my preaching, but because of God, His word, and his speaking, and the spirit that he has given to the church, which empowers us to be the bearers of his gospel. We will celebrate communion now, but I want to remind you before we do that when, when communion is done, uh, when we're done receiving communion, there are prayer rooms available through Zoom where you can go and receive prayer. So these links are posted on our church website under the live feed. They're also posted on Facebook as comments under the, the Facebook live feed and also as a separate post on the church Facebook page. All you need to do is simply choose one of those four links and click on it and that will take you to a Zoom prayer room and. It, it will be private. It will be just you and, and the person there where, they, where you can share your request and be prayed for. As we prepare to receive communion, I give you a minute or so in silence to think about, to consider the story of God that he has made our story as his church, that he's passed on to us, to prepare our hearts. And that means to consider if there's any unconfessed sin in our lives which we need to deal with, confess, and release to God. And do that now so that we will receive communion, union with him, in purity and in freedom.